If you live in the fair city of Philadelphia, chances are you've had to fumble around the city website, filler.gov. Most likely to pay a pesky parking ticket, or maybe for a permit for your July 4th block party. Yup, it's me again, Sophie Reed from the 20 by 70 podcast crew, ever in search of the most awesome version of our city. As proud co-owner of a Philly row home, I know that navigating city bureaucracy can be skull-crushing at the best of times, but does the wonder of the internet make it all a little less excruciating? I caught up with Philly-born and bred comedian and techie Valerie DiMambro over Skype. She's been hanging out in the Windy City and is gearing up to move back to her hometown. She's just bought a house in South Philly and is trying to figure out how her and her husband can physically move in. So we dived on the city website to see if it could smooth the transition. The thing with Philadelphia being built, you know, hundreds of years ago is that the roads are really small. So getting a trailer into our tiny alleyway of a street is proving to be somewhat impossible. So looks like I'm going to have to figure out a way to get like road closing, reserving a space for this truck. Let me see. So I'm on the philly.gov homepage and I was looking at the top of the page and it says residents. I'm going to try that. Um, but nothing on resident services says anything about like property, home, anything like that. Oh, moving truck requests. It does say, it. there we go. Once you've made your payment, how do you get your permit? Does it come through email or does does it come through the mail? It doesn't say. <laughs> oh, so after payment is made, it is highly recommended that you print out a copy of your permit and take it to the nearest police district. So I have to, I still do. I have to bring it to the police station, which sucks because I might not be in town until like the day that I'm moving into town. Okay, so it took a while to find the link, but we got there in the end. Next, Val tries to figure out how to pay her water bill. You can do your electric and your gas. You can really move that all to paperless. But the water bill still comes every month, like in the mail. There's no paperless option for the water bill. And it doesn't say anything about paying water bill. Oh, but wait a second. See that... There's almost too many things. So now there's also an item that says pay. With so many options, it's easy to pay on time. (laughs) And this is just on the homepage. But it's like, what am I paying? I I can pay alarm fees, code violations, health service fees, food safety, parking tickets, of course, (laughs) pay and file taxes, real estate taxes. Because Philly wouldn't be Philly without being able to pay parking tickets. I know. (laughs) And then water bill. So there is on the homepage this one item that just says pay. But it doesn't say you have to do the drop down before you know like what you're paying. If you had one message to the city of Philadelphia, if you, I mean, as someone who works in tech, if you were able to get in there, roll up your sleeves and do one thing to help them, what would it be? It would be to simplify and think of a book. People read the same way online that they would read in a book. They look at the left-hand side first and then they go to the right. On the left-hand side, I really want a menu of items. I want to be able to see right on this, without having to scroll down, I want to be able to see right on this homepage, the resident services that I can do from this site. I want to see all of the items I can pay from this site. I want to see all the permits, how I can get them. There's almost too much information on this homepage, just not organized in a very specific way. seems like we all crave a touch of simplicity in life. 
which brings us seamlessly to the straight-talking Chris Sartulo over at UPenn's Annenberg Studio. Hey, thanks, Sophie. Clearly, talking about turning a government website into a great user experience is a lot easier than actually doing it. This is 20 by 70, the scrappy little podcast from the Committee of 70. And I'm Chris Satulo, your occasionally scrappy but not so little host. Here at 20 by 70, we believe that good government, efficient, honest, consumer-focused government, is not only a nice idea, but an achievable one. Hey, we hear the sound of you rolling your eyes out there in podcast land. We hear your scoffing. In Philadelphia, you've got to be kidding, Satulo. Well... Actually, not. Here is a too-well-kept secret. Philadelphia has some departments that do first-class, even world-class work. Under former Mayor Nutter, for example, the city got a little bit of a reputation as a seedbed of innovation by attracting some hot young tech talent onto its information technology staff and letting them loose. But now, in the early months of the Jim Kenney administration, some clouds have begun to obscure that bit of sun. Juliana Reyes is an editor for Technically Philly, the splendid website that tracks the region's tech sector with a special focus on what's called civic tech, the place where ones and zeros meet the public good. And she's been reporting on some concerns over how the Kenny team is approaching technology. Welcome, Juliana. Hi, Chris. So what has been going on? What's, what's the deal? So when Mayor Kenny came into office, there were two big things that we were watching. One was if Chief Innovation Officer Adele Abid, so he was the city's first Chief Innovation Officer, we wanted to see if he was going to stay. And the team that he had assembled of basically, I would call them tech hotshots, like strong tech talent that he poached from the private sector, would they stay as well? And in the first few months, we found that Adele had left and that Mayor Kenny had hired Charlie Brennan. So he was a um, former cop. He ran IT at the Philadelphia Police Department, and he became the city's new chief information officer. And then people started leaving. Basically, the, the civic tech director, Aaron Ogle, who was really lauded as a leader at the Office of Innovation and Technology, he left and a few other developers left too. And so people started murmuring like, What's going on here? Um, is all the stuff that we had worked for, is, is it, are we like backpedaling now? So when you did your reporting, was the judgment that it was backpedaling or just the normal turnover and changing of the guard that happens with the new administration? It's tough to say. The new CIO, and so he, Charlie Brennan, uh, no longer wanted to have the title of chief innovation officer. He wanted to be called a chief information officer. That was what he preferred. And he showed a very, he had showed a strong focus on what they would call keeping the trains running on time. He didn't seem that interested in big, ambitious ideas of how to rethink how government was delivering services. And that was a hallmark of the Nutter administration, and that was a hallmark of Adele's tenure. Right. To your point, Aaron Ogle, who you mentioned, who left, uh, I was at an event uh, at Johnny Brenda's, sort of this pitch session called Ignite Philly, where people get up and talk about ideas that you're doing. And he talked about this beta version of a new app for city government that was aimed to sort of put in everyone's smartphone the ability to interact with city government in a more efficient way. And he got like a wild ovation. It was like a rock star response to what he was talking about. I believe a week later, he quit. Yeah. Yeah. That So Johnny Brenda's um, 
for those who don't know, that's a concert venue. And so really the rock star comparison is perfect. It's super fitting because the city's first chief data officer, Mark Head, he once said that Philadelphia was to civic tech like Nashville was to country music. <laughs> so, yeah, really? Yeah, really? That was, that's, that's our thing. That's what we're known for. That's what people look to us for in the tech world, in the civic tech world at least. So what did you find out about the reasons behind the departure of Aaron Ogle and some of the other former stars of that department? So with Aaron's case, there was a specific thing with um, the residency requirement for city employees, and Aaron was not able to move into the city. And so there was this technicality where he couldn't promise that he was going to be able to move in, so he had to leave. But there were other things, other concerns he had and other developers had on the team that they weren't going to be given the license and the autonomy to to do their job, to rethink how the city is delivering city services. Right. So in your story, you sort of describe the tension or the the contrast between the notion of this team as a product development team trying to drive innovation versus a service department, right, for other departments. Yeah. And that's a really tech world concept because there's startups. So, you know, Facebooks and Googles who have products. And then there's a services shop. So an agency that is just doing client-facing work. Uh, Not just, it's not to belittle it, but largely the team at the Office of Innovation and Technology, they would be doing client work. So, you know, the water department needs something and they would like make a website. But Aaron's team was building their own product. And so they needed that autonomy and they needed not to be beholden to other departments and their tech needs, which created attention because... Those departments need things, too. So who's going to do those those right. things? So this sort of was crystallized in an unfortunate comment from uh, Mr. Brennan, uh, which you note in the story, where he said something about, well, we can't get or keep the kind of talent you're talking about because we don't have nap rooms and massages or something like that, which caused a reaction. Yeah, so that was at OIT's city council budget hearing. And um, Council President Clark was asking Charlie Brennan, why can't you fill these tech positions? And that's exactly what he said. He said, we don't have the perks. And I was live tweeting it. And a lot of technologists were furious because they felt like it belittled their work and their passion because they're not in city government for the perks. They could go work for a startup and make maybe twice as much and get all those perks. But they're in city government because they believe in the mission, because they want to make the city better. So your story was posted on Technically Philly a number of weeks ago. So what has been the reaction since to your work? Well, one thing that was most striking was that, so we write about local issues to Philadelphia, but a lot of civic tech execs, the people that work in New York and in San Francisco, they were paying attention and they were sharing the story. And they were sort of looking to us as a cautionary tale or maybe a a lesson that they could take for how to implement innovation in their own administrations. And um, the, the other big action was that I think about a month after the story came out, the Kenny administration moved Ogle's former team and the data team into a new office, basically removed them from the Office of Innovation and Technology. So they're no longer under Charlie Brennan. It seems like things are working well in this new structure. And so they're reporting now to the chief administrative officer, Rebecca Reinhart. And I think that the Kenny administration is still trying to figure out what innovation means to them. So, Julianne, among the things you guys do at Technically Philly is follow the civic tech community in this region very carefully. If we could sort of tap into its collective consciousness uh, and its attitude or its feelings about the Kenny administration, 
Could you say what would be the one thing that they'd be looking for for the administration as a sign that eventually all will be well, that civic tech will find its rightful place within City Hall again? I think that the civic tech community wants a lifeline into the civic tech within City Hall. So they had that in the Nutter administration through Adele Abid and the hires that he made. And I think that once people started leaving, they started to get worried that they didn't have that lifeline. So sort of a sense of the people who are on the inside were of the community on the outside as well. So there was God, good Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think Mayor Kenny would do well to find a way to keep those ties to the community and yeah, have people high up in his staff that understand the community, engage with the community, and know how to tap the community for its talent and its resources. Well, thank you very much, Juliana Reyes, for coming and sharing both the work you did for that story and what happened afterwards. Really very informative. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So that was Juliana Reyes, an editor at Technically Philly, the website that covers the regional tech scene like no other. You heard Juliana talk about how hard it can be for government to attract the kind of talent and to adopt the kind of test-and-learn approach that can build a foundation for innovation. Now, in Philadelphia, there are also folks in its civic tech world who take a slightly different approach. They work with government sometimes, but sometimes outside it, to produce useful change through technology. Code for Philly is a core of public-spirited technologists who do just that. Now, David Thornburg, CEO of the Committee of 70, is now in the studio and is about to snatch the mic away from me so he can talk with Don McDougall who runs Code for Philly. David. Thanks, Chris. And Don, it's great to have you here to talk about Code for Philly. Uh, You and I met uh, a couple of months ago, and I'm just enormously impressed with the uh, activity and the energy and the the vision for civic problem solving that that Code for Philly represents. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved, the kinds of things that Code for Philly works on. We'll take it from there. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm also really impressed with the people who come into Code for Philly. I am not a technologist or a coder. And so when I came into the community almost two years ago, I was blown away that there were people who would spend their nights and weekends working on projects that would just for the fact that it would make their city a better place. Code for Philly is all about using tech and data as a mode of civic engagement. And so that digital placemaking that we're seeing today um, by people, like you've mentioned, from all walks of life um, is a really powerful sentiment. So we meet, you know, every week and people are continuously working on civic tech projects. Some people are getting involved in our hackathons or coming to, you know, our regular, semi-regular hackathon event. And so that's mainly what we're doing right now is a lot of community building. And what we would like to see in the future is more projects getting adopted by city government. So we've already seen you know, a handful of projects that have been adopted by city government to maintain them in perpetuity. And so we would really like to see that continue on um, as much as possible, whether it's city government or um, other government-like entities. That's really the last mile connection that I think we're we're talking about today is how to bring those two uh, forces and that energy together. You know, Juliana has reported on and others have reported on a little bit of the rocky transition or the uncertain transition from Mayor Nutter to Mayor Kenny and the way they sort of approach this stuff. And what are your observations about the difference in style, about the difference in interest, uh, participation between those uh, two sets of, of political leaders? 
it's been really interesting to watch. With Nutter, it was a totally different game. Technology and innovation was a huge priority for him, and he actually brought in Code for America fellows. So this culture change that we had been seeing over the last you know, four, five years really came from that high level of support, and not just that high level of support, but also the people who was who were executing on those priorities, they really understood innovation and mm-hmm. technology and how those two things could mingle. With Kenny, I think there's still a great level of support. He came and spoke at the Democracy Hackathon kickoff. Um, he was at our Sustainability Hackathon kickoff. But I'm not sure. I think Juliana puts it really well of there's still this getting to know each other phase. Right. And for Code for Philly... I think we see ourselves as the front door to the community in many, many ways because these are people who are ready to get their hands dirty on the problems that are facing internal operations. And so I think there's still this question of what does that relationship, what does that partnership look like? Yeah. If uh, you had a group of your Code for Philly uh, brigade members, is that what you call them? Yeah. So around and you sort of surface the question, what would we like the Kenny administration to do? What do you think they would say? I think that what I would like to see is even more community engagement. You know, we can really take the relationship of people who are engaged and getting them involved in city government to another level. I mean, there's just so much energy and enthusiasm in not just our community, but other civic communities out there of young people who they've been given hope by the innovation that has already happened, or at least the spirit of innovation that's been set. And so take that energy and unleash it. And I think that you could have some really powerful changes happen in city government. Let's co-work on a big project together. Let's figure out how can we, you know, what is a way that we can get apps adopted in a more, I guess, streamlined way or a more, uh, you know, process-driven way? Like how can we, how can we make this movement sustainable? That's really what I think we're most interested in right now is I don't want to see or, you know, I don't think anyone in the community wants to see changes happen because of a persona-driven administration. I think we got lucky that the Kenny administration has continued to be so supportive, but, you know, maybe eight years down the road and Kenny's not in office and then all of a sudden there's an administration change, you know, that sort of disruption can be good in some places, but I think we are certainly hoping that this will be something that can be a sustained effort and really, you know, not just a culture change, like a change in the system. I mean, having the community helping you derive solutions to problems, I mean, the amount of buy-in, the amount that people feel empowered, the amount of ownership that they feel over their city, I think civic participation as a whole and the ability to participate in the democratic process more than just voting, that is going to be what takes a city to the next level. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we talk a lot a lot about in Philly. Let me just sort of end on this note. You came here, I think, from the West Coast. That's right. And uh, now you've looks like you've fallen in love with this place. How important do you think is the kind of spirit that Code for Philly represents? How important is that sort of to the, the message that Philadelphia is sending to people your age or folks around the country or around the world? I mean, I think it's critical. I think a sense of purpose and a sense of community are two pillars that younger people, you know, the next generation, that's what they're looking for. And so that's something that government service can offer is an incredible sense of impact. And the community is that other pillar of saying, you're not alone trying to make this change happen. There's a whole group of people who will support your interests in personal and self-development, but also serving this greater good. Um, And that's why I think there's a lot of community building that's happening outside of 
specifics. I mean, there's even in very profit driven areas, people are saying we need a community. We yeah. need a sense of togetherness because the world is just there's just too many things going on in the world for us to try to do this alone. And so I think we're seeing pretty big tectonic shifts in the way that people value time and space. And so being able to have, you know, some really powerful pillars like those two things, I yep. think um, could be really just absolutely game changing. So we're heading into the home stretch of this, our fourth episode of 20 by 70. And we hope by now we've persuaded you that bit by bit, it just might be possible that Someday, ones and zeros will add up to a more efficient, more consumer-oriented approach to government in Philly. But as we've learned from Juliana Reyes of Technically Philly and Don McDougall of Code for Philly, while there's a lot of opportunity there, the path to innovation isn't always smooth. We want to thank both of them for spending time with us in our studio at the Annenberg Public Policy Center on the Penn campus. And thanks, as always, to the Policy Center for hosting us. And special thanks to the resident genius here in the studio, our audio engineer, the wonderful Jeremy Quattlebaum. And as always, delighted thanks to our producer, Sophie Reed, who shows week after week that a mellifluous British accent can come with a touch of Philly attitude. We're also glad Sophie was able to soldier through the drama of the Brexit vote to help us pull off episode four. As always, the musical breaks you've heard come courtesy of The Miners, a band that features on pedal steel guitar none other than David Thornburg, CEO of the Committee of Seventy. And speaking of David, as always, we're going to end with a few words of wisdom and inspiration from him. So here it is, folks, your moment of City Zen. Thanks, Chris. You know, some wise guys wag that the words government and innovation don't belong in the same sentence, that somehow talking about new ideas, doing things differently, improving constantly and continuously in City Hall is absurdly, oh, oxymoronic. I think the wise guys are wrong. In fact, there's never been a more exciting time for public leaders, civic activists, and entrepreneurs to join in common cause to bring innovation into the people's business. Handheld computing power gets cheaper and more robust by the day. Data, much of it public data once locked up in dusty file cabinets, is raining down from the cloud in buckets. Taxpayers clamor for more, 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 all the time calling for government to spend less, less, less. And yet, innovation means doing things differently. And doing things differently means change and that runs into the reality, as Bobby Kennedy once lamented, that everybody loves progress but hates change. Anybody who's worked in government, faced with Dr. No civil servants, no can-do union contracts, not my job work rules, a gotcha media, and a political climate that hates risk, knows that Bobby knew what he was talking about. So, what do folks who are good at making change in government know about how to make change? First, they know that innovation is a process, not an idea or a cool new app. It's a human process. It's messy, political, frustrating, but ultimately rewarding. Second, good public innovators know that they need to build bridges with other innovators, entrepreneurs, hackers, civic and academic leaders, all of whom bring their own game to the table. Finally, they persist in the face of challenges and obstacles. They're not afraid to grind it out. In 1993, which I recognize is a million years ago in internet time, a little book called Reinventing Government hit the New York Times bestseller list. 
And can you imagine a best-selling how-to book on government? One of the core ideas in the book is that successful public leaders steer rather than row the ship of state. Their job is to chart a course, to share a vision, and engage many others in their community in the pursuit of that vision. In similar fashion, our Mayor Jim Kenney has said he sees himself like a point guard in basketball, the person who sees the whole court and runs the offense. That's a good metaphor. At the same time, though, Kenny and his folks have to, quickly and powerfully, send the right signals to the entrepreneurial and civic innovation communities that they're still on the team, too. Philadelphia, the laboratory that gave birth to the Great American Experiment, needs to maintain the reputation and the reality that this is a place where new ideas and ways of doing things are welcome, and that it's a place that knows how to make working together actually work. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This is David Thornburg for the Committee of 70.